Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. All right. So today we have kind of a different situation going on. My friend Rocky is here and she is in the gut and skin field along with me. And she's actually the gut skin nutritionist on Instagram. And so she invited me on her Instagram in January to talk about hormones and skin flares and Instagram live or Instagram TV was being a little glitchy that day. So we wanted to come back and re-record. And since we were doing that, we wanted to go ahead and multi-purpose and give it to the Less Stress Life podcast listeners as well. So Rocky was in a past life, an actress, and she departed and became a registered dietitian in a second career because of her experience with food as medicine for her skin and allergies. And so I have gotten to know her over the couple years, I think. And so, and I think you know me if you're listening to the podcast, but really briefly, I'm Krista Bigler in case this is for the Instagram TV version. And I... I'm the host of this podcast and love to work on gut, skin, and energy issues. So we're going to talk about hormones and skin flares today, and Rocky is going to take the wheel on the interview. Yes. Thanks so much, Krista. And yes, so anyone who has seen this on my Instagram live before, it was a little choppy and Krista was just dropping gems and gems of knowledge because hormone health is, I know your jam. So I thought you are the perfect person to address a lot of these questions that people were asking in the most simplest basic terms with not maybe the most simplest basic answer is why does my skin flare right before my period and why does my skin flare after pregnancy is the common theme that I was seeing. So I think we touched on it back in January, but the most simple thing is, are we managing our blood sugar? Are we managing stress? How are we supporting our liver metabolism? Are we supporting our gut health, aka are we pooping, right? Do we have a diverse diet? And five is, you know, what are the proper nutrients? So do you want to kind of take it away in step one and what happens right before our period usually has to do with something called estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. And you just listed off the five things. I mean, hormone health is not a root cause. Those are the root causes that influence hormones. And so that's an important thing because hormones are kind of a 
hot word, right? I don't know. We could think of other hot words, but they get our attention, but you should know they're not a root cause. Kind of like skin issues, right? Like skin issues and hormones could be synonymously not root causes. It's like, these are the things underneath hormones. And just to repeat, it is like stress, blood sugar, gut health, liver stuff, nutrients. And did I say liver detoxification? We'll come back to them over time. But the real question is why does my skin flare right before my period? Well, Let's back up and understand our three sex hormones for a moment. Let's give them a personality and then that will help us like them a little bit better if we understand their personality and their name. And then we'll talk about how they rise and fall and what that does to our skin. So there's three sex hormones. They come from our ovaries. Our brain tells our ovaries what to do. There's really only two phases of life, right? There's reproduction and then non-reproduction. So when you're in the reproductive phase of life, you've got ovarian or ovary hormone production. And when you're post or perimenopause, you move from, you're not going to produce those sex hormones anymore as much. You're going to move to your adrenals producing everything. This is why I like to mention stress and aging don't really mix (laughs) because if you're going to rely on your adrenals to produce all of your stress hormones, which is another discussion, but it does relate because when you've got high stress, it increases your blood sugar, which increases the reason that you're flaring. So it like exacerbates the problem. But there's three characters that are coming out of the ovaries or three sex hormones. So we have estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And you've heard of all of these, but estrogen is kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. 100% need it, right? That's the important part. But when it's really high, it gives us those Symptoms like PMS, moodiness, breast tenderness, excessive bleeding, and that's because estrogen predicts how much of that uterine lining, how thick the uterine lining is going to be, and then when your uterine lining sheds, it causes a heavy bleed, okay? So that's maybe important to know. So high estrogen symptoms are the things that we don't like in our menstruating years, and low estrogen is what we think about when we are thinking of moving into menopause and perimenopause, and we often think about hot flashes as the most common thing, right? When you think of perimenopause or menopause. So hot flashes, but it's also related to low mood, low bone density, things like that. Okay. So Jekyll and Hyde, but you absolutely need it, right? Because if low estrogen is related to bone frailty, right? Then for sure, estrogen is necessary for bone health, right? So it's all hundred percent necessary. It dances with progesterone who I'm still trying to come up with a new character for progesterone, but right now I'm calling it the homecoming queen because the homecoming queen is like, we just like to think about it as like, that's your happy hormone and everyone wants more progesterone. (laughs) Everyone wants more progesterone because you're happy, you feel good. And just so you know, when you're pregnant, you have an all-time high of progesterone. So a lot of people will see a decrease in skin flares during pregnancy because you have high progesterone, which is your happy hormone, which is you know, like these two are kind of a teeter-totter or they like to tango. So if progesterone is good and high and wonderful, then estrogen is going to be lower. But if estrogen is high, our progesterone is lower, right? I always love stories. And so I think about people who say, I felt the best in my life during my pregnancy. Think about what that means. That means that might be the, well, it is the highest time of progesterone, but that means they're not experiencing high progesterone the rest of their life right? Until pregnancy, they're experiencing high progesterone at that time. Another note is that progesterone is what maintains a pregnancy as well. So sometimes doctors test for it. And if you have low progesterone, women are given that, otherwise they can have miscarriages sometimes. And I see that that's actually much more common than you would think nowadays. So we've got estrogen, Jekyll and Hyde. We've got progesterone, which is the homecoming queen and very high during pregnancy. And then lastly, we have our maintenance man, testosterone. So we sometimes think about testosterone being negative in women. 
And from a skin perspective, you do see a little bit of a certain kinds of acne with elevated testosterone from that skin condition, but testosterone is a maintenance man. So you need it for repair of tissue. So if you think about like not recovering from workouts and whatnot, you can think about your testosterone. So you need some, but really high testosterone is kind of related to another hormonal condition called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that is consistent with hair growing where we don't want it to grow. And it also has to do with the elevated blood sugar. So Mm -hmm. there's some overlaps that just keep coming back. Don't they? They just keep coming back. Okay. So we've got Jekyll and Hyde, we've got the homecoming queen and we've got the maintenance man. So now that we understand the characters in the game, we can clearly say what's causing skin flares right before your period, because right before your period, throughout your cycle, actually estrogen and progesterone will kind of have a rise and a fall, basically a rise or a fall. It's going to cause a dramatic symptom like a bleed. So about a week before your period and before your ovulation. So remember ovulation is like in the middle ish, the middle ish of your period, the last couple of days. So it's in the middle of the cycle. If let's just assume we've got a 28 day cycle, not everyone does some high estrogen people have like, a, it seems like it comes every three weeks because <laughs> it does. If you're ovulating in the middle of the cycle, there's also a spike of estrogen before the middle and before the period. So you'll see a skin flare in both situations because high estrogen is related to skin flares. And I'll tell you a little bit about it, but then there's the spike in estrogen and then it plummets and flatlines. And that flatline is where your body's like, oh, I'm not doing anything anymore. So I'm going to like go ahead and shed that lining, that lining the made thicker by high estrogen. If your estrogen is high, if your skin flaring, like I'm talking to you, if your skin is flaring with your PMS, cause it's all going along together, it's flatlining. And so now you're having a bleed. Am I making sense so far? I want to talk a little yes. bit more about estrogen. All right, yes. cool. With all you right. following. Good, good. All right. So one thing about estrogen is that it increases the same kind of stuff that makes allergies. So it stimulates, Rocky talks about this, mast cells essentially. And those are just inflammatory cells in our lungs, gut, and skin. So if you think about that, that's skin reactions, it's asthma and allergies and stuff in our gut. So sometimes, so actually this is useful because people have varying bowel movements around their cycle as well. And so if you're a higher estrogen person, traditionally that seems to mean faster motility, meaning you get more loose stools. I do have an explanation. I don't know if we talked about this on the IG live before, but a lot of times the loose stool has to do with prostaglandins. Mm -hmm. So prostaglandins are like these hormones that are released obviously in your uterus, right? Mm -hmm. So right around the time of your period, but it also gets into the bloodstream and what's right above or around your uterus and your ovaries are your intestines. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the prostaglandins will migrate into the bloodstream and it will have a stimulatory effect. And that's mm-hmm. why some women do experience looser stools or AKA diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Uh, during yeah. This. And so prostaglandins are like what cause like cramping and contractions or like if you were going to have a baby, but they also kind of help hold the baby in. I mean, literally our body's like doing everything around that. Right. It's like, So it's good news if that's what your goal is. And, you know, otherwise it's just nice to know what your body, like, it's nice to know what it's trying to say to you. So you can try to understand the messages and not fight it. Because if we understand exactly why it is, for example, on a month that has higher stress for me, I'm going to have higher estrogen. So my husband's been, he's like, you're very grouchy. And it's probably because he's being a nag anyway, but it's like the week before where my estrogen would be spiking. And normally I would say I'm at a point in my life where I've 
where my health is within a place where I don't really know my period is coming. That is, you can get there too, is the point of this conversation, but that's pretty typical. But if I have a higher stressed month or I'm doing some of the things that would affect, because remember blood sugar, stress, nutrients, gut health, and detoxification affect your hormones because hormones are not the root cause, right? So if you have high stress, and I remember my mom had this major autoimmune crisis, which is going to link to another comment I want to make that people were wondering. She had this major autoimmune crisis at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. And I was kind of living in a hospital for like a week or something before they kicked us out. And long story short, my period that month was like, definitely had symptoms more so than normal because there was just a lot of stress at that time. And my life is very full at this moment. I would like it to not and feel you know stressful. That makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense because your body's preparing you for not having a baby, right? (laughs) It's like, you're too stressed out. This is maybe not the perfect time for you to maybe conceive. Right. You know, we don't really necessarily want to hear this, but our brain is the starting point of this stuff. Now, certainly, and this is a good point. We should talk about like all the other things that affect estrogen as well, but I have a really quick answer to why do you flare when you're breastfeeding? So if you, Mm. can I go there real quick? Um, so Remember when you are pregnant, you have really high progesterone. And then after you're pregnant, that kind of plummets. So your progesterone is down. So then it's like, well, are you going to maybe have a little bit of estrogen technically should be down a little bit too, maybe, but you got two hormones that are coming in with lactation because you're starting to make milk. And when you asked me this the first time when we were talking about it in January, I was like, man, I feel like someone just asked me about this. And I would say I see more kiddos whose moms are breastfeeding, whereas I don't necessarily see a ton of ladies who are breastfeeding who are like, yeah, my skin is flaring, but it's come up recently twice since we last talked about it. So it's a short answer from what I could find. It's basically that you have prolactin, that's your milk producing hormone, and then oxytocin releases, which is fine. But basically prolactin kind of increases an immune response in general. So like there's many things that it will increase immune system messengers. I call these Nerf bullets because foods and stress and environmental triggers and gut issues will all increase these mediators or Nerf gun bullets, um, essentially. And so it's immune response, like lymphocytes and all these things, right? Like it increases the immune response in short. And so what they'll also find postpartum, which this makes sense because you know, a lot of people, they come down with Hashimoto's postpartum. People who have maybe had an autoimmune condition that's been fairly in remission, like they haven't really been flaring, they'll have a flare of an autoimmune response because of this kind of immune storm happening postpartum. That was like the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) that I found because it hadn't really come up like enough where I was like, oh, I should look up what the connection is here, right? Because people aren't necessarily lactating for the majority of their lives. A lot of people aren't anymore. Once upon a time, they may have been, but not as much, not as many women are doing that the majority of their lives anymore. Did you have a comment? No, no. I mean, it's so interesting, like everything that you're saying. And I mean, I was going to say also with the whole pregnancy or the autoimmune storm, I see that connection a lot in women, especially when it comes to thyroid health. Like it does seem that someone who was maybe genetically predisposed for some kind of thyroid condition, it just activates in Mm -hmm. women. So do you think maybe thyroid testing is warranted for people who do have skin issues? What, what are your opinions on that? Thyroid and hormone testing? Because oh, I, I think, you do well, and that's a very different topic, but let's talk about thyroid first. So usually when you ask for your thyroid to be tested, they test a pituitary hormone instead called TSH. And then if that's out of line, they might do a full thyroid panel. A full thyroid panel includes 
like in short, T3, T4 and antibodies, including TSH would be the first one. That's the thyroid stimulating hormone that's coming from the pituitary and then antibodies. And a lot of times antibodies aren't tested and that's the autoimmune piece of Hashimoto's. You know, evidence-based medicine is a combination of like research, our clinician experience and our client's experiences. That's what the Venn diagram should be. It's like, it should be all those things. And so what I am seeing in practice, Rocky, is that people have normal-ish thyroid numbers on testing, but if it's kind of hanging close, if we support the nutrients that help make thyroid, people just feel a whole heck of a lot better. So I could talk about this a bit because like in very much short stress will like rob from the thyroid. And as another example, I have strong feelings about chlorine from my own skin history, but chlorine, Mm -hmm. iodine, and bromine are all like in the same thing on the periodic table. And that means they steal from each other. They're the halogens. halogens. Thank you. They're the halogens. And so our thyroid has iodine receptors and there's a lot of things that are displaced, like chlorine and water displaces iodine, you know, and this is kind of tricky. And then this is something I was reading. I don't know. I can't remember which book it was, but it was talking about bromine in, and one of my clients, like his company produces bromine. And so I just appreciate him so much t- teaching me about bromine last week. He was telling me it's in Mountain Dew, but long story short, it's, it's like, it doesn't hit the ingredient list. And I don't know if it was the 60s, 70s, something like that. They were putting iodine as a dough conditioner into commercial baked goods. And then the FDA is like, Ooh, that's a lot of iodine in a slice of bread. It's like 150 micrograms. We're going to like change that up. So they started putting bromine in it as a dough conditioner instead And so we've had bromine in our food supply or in baking product, like commercially processed things for a long, long time. And that's displacing the iodine from our thyroid. So it's just very interesting. That's all I'm saying. It's like, there's like these, there's like these sneaky things that are kind of robbing. Now that said, is that the whole reason you have skin issues? Well, thyroid issues, here are some like symptoms of thyroid problems. Extreme fatigue, which is a whole lot of other reasons as well. Let's just get that clear. Being really chilled to the bone almost and like cold throughout the day for sure. Because I would also say like there's certain skin issues where you can feel like irregular temperature, but this is a little more chilly, more so. Hair loss, slow bowels and dry skin. Now you'll see all those things overlapped in gut and liver issues, especially, which by the way, thyroid is also metabolized through the liver or like some of the processes. So I guess the short answer Rocky is, should you get it tested? It's not a bad idea to get it tested. Is it the only cause of your skin issues? I mean, I don't know. I haven't really seen that. Hasn't been my experience in practice yet. And then your other question was, should you get hormone testing as a first line therapy? I never do hormone testing as a first line therapy, almost never. Because if I know that hormones are not the root cause, and I want to talk about like, we said that estrogen spikes the week before your period and it spikes right before ovulation too. And that's causing your skin flare. I want to talk about the things that have to happen for that to get, your body is smart. It should be able to break that down and move it on out if it has enough resources to do it. So we'll talk about what it needs for resources to do that or where it could get stuck on the track, like where the traffic jams are on the way out of the body. Um, Yeah, let's explore that. All right, cool. Let's talk about that. So I like to think about it kind of like a funnel. So at the top of the funnel, that's kind of like what you get from your mom plus This is funny and interesting. Testosterone can become estrogen. And I don't know all the ways it aromatizes into estrogen, but I know alcohol is one of them. I don't know if stress is one of them and I don't know all the things. I know alcohol is a big one, but if you already had high testosterone, which is gonna look like for a woman, 
hair loss where you wish you had hair and hair growth where you wish you didn't have hair, <laughs> which I love that way that sounds. It's like easy. It's like on your chin, on your mustache, you know, from, yeah. And yeah. then like a loss, like through here. So that's a possible coming into the top of the funnel. And let's actually talk about some other things in the top of the funnel. Cause these are things you guys have already heard, but when we are consuming tea and plastic tea bags. We're getting like a bajillion microplastics and we're using certain personal care products. And I have an interesting story about this too. And we're using things that are plasticizers, all of that stuff. Our body recognizes that as fake or xenoestrogens. And that's putting more Mm. stuff in the top of the funnel. So if you would just reduce that stuff going in the top of the funnel, you'd remove some of that stress. Your body has to break down and move it out. Like if you put less garbage in, then that would be a good first step. And that's always a good It's kind of like you're just overburdening your body. So if you already are having difficulty clearing out estrogen, which your body should be able to do, right? Which you can clearly tell from the symptoms, right? Right. If you're having a flare. Because your skin is flaring, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like a backup, right? It's kind of like going down this conveyor belt and maybe you don't have enough employees or workers. I think I'm Mm -hmm. going... Uh, using an analogy, maybe people can understand. It's like you have this conveyor belt and just going super, super fast and your body has like not enough nutrients, which I think you're going to talk about and mm-hmm. yeah. helping to clear this out. So you're yeah. having a backup. So why not stop it at the very front of the line, right? And what you're saying is maybe reduce the plastics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. These fake yeah. estrogens that maybe Oh yeah. And I also wanted thinking. to share a story because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a consultant with a lab the other day, because I had done kind of a full body and burden for skin client, which I is not super common for me, but I went through this test with her and we were talking about what she typically sees. And she mentioned that the worst toxin burden test she'd ever seen, which was looking for a lot of things that are not pronounceable. (laughs) She said the worst one she'd ever seen was a teenage influencer from Instagram, who had gotten a lot of products sent to her for free. And she was using all of these skincare products. And I was like, that's a great story. Tell people that story. That's like interesting and memorable. So thanks for letting me share it right here on behalf of her. You would really not think about that. And yeah, it is a lot of plastic. It's a lot of plastic products. Well, and it's not just plastics. It's like, it's other stuff that are in personal care products, right? I'm just going to leave it at that other stuff. (laughs) One time in my detox class, someone kind of left like a review, like something about phthalates. Like she wasn't very happy what I said about phthalate. And I'm like, well, the literature is clear. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. (laughs) That there's stuff in these products and it's going to contribute to, let's just say higher estrogen, but also like other nasty crap from a total body burden, which is going to stress your detoxification system, which matters for your estrogen. So funnel, top of the funnel, crap in life, not having enough good fiber or hydration. Those are all good things. Like what can we put in the top? And then also like if you might have some symptoms of high testosterone, we don't want to keep adding that in. And then also like some people say, I think this is uh, genetic because my mom and my sisters had this. That's fine. But just so you know, family members share microbiota. Like I was stricken with fungus most of my life because of my, like I just grew up on a family who had it from what I can tell. So it's like, it's hard when it's kind of deep set in you. Okay. And when you have gut issues, then the next step in the funnel doesn't work very well because in your gut, there's certain enzymes that break down estrogen very simply. And when you have gut issues, like basically when you have gut issues, it feels like nothing is working because things don't work like they're supposed to. There are breaks in the machine essentially. Okay. So then it doesn't get 
the enzymes that are supposed to break it down don't process it. Okay. You'll see this with like increase in allergies too, like especially if you're adult onset allergies or they've gotten much worse, similar types of mechanisms going on. Okay. With estrogen and allergy type things. So that's the first step in the funnel is that you've got to have good gut flora. So that way the enzyme reactions work. But by the way, if you had bad gut function, like you also, by the way, are not going to digest food well, even though you can't see it on the other end necessarily, you're not going to digest and absorb food awesomely. That means you're going to miss out on some of the nutrients that are going to help with this, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about. So first step would be like gut is a little bit of a mess. And I would say like right next to the first step is also like liver needs to be able to clear things out because the liver also has multiple steps, multiple machine functions. Let's just move down to like the next step in the funnel, which is like another piece of what the liver is supposed to be doing. And so there's a couple genes that will stand. Let's just say there's a couple roadblocks. Okay. And so this roadblock COMT stress is going to get blocked by like stress and caffeine for some people. Okay. And then also, if you don't have good nutrients, then you're not going to be able to push it out either. So this is a good conversation around methylation, which maybe people have heard of MTHFR and people will act like it's like the end of the world, which most people have an issue with this. This is called methylation. And so essentially your body is maybe not going to make certain nutrients into the right forms. And so sometimes you need a little bit of help, like methylated B12, folate, not folic acid, et cetera. Glycine is a really big one in this stage of the funnel and a really great source of glycine is collagen. Rocky and I were recently talking about (laughs) collagen. Collagen is like three amino acids, glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good source of glycine. So like, I want to drop some little tips in here, right? On like, these are little things that kind of help, right? Put less stuff in the top. And then also, I always think it's easier to work on the top and the bottom. Because if you think of a funnel, could I stop pouring more in the top? And then if it's kind of jammed up in the bottom, like I was like using wood glue the other day and the top, like I couldn't get it out. I had to like peel the dried off glue off, right? Imagine the bottom of the funnel, right? If I was pouring the glue through the funnel, I had to peel the bottom of the glue, the stuff off. So you can't have a clogged end, right? Where it's going to come out. And so that looks like having bowel movements. It looks like regular sweating. It looks like hydrating and urinating enough. And it also looks like things in that second step with the liver, like anyway, methylation, which magnesium is a big one too. So simply taking Epsom salt baths is such a great way to absorb magnesium efficiently, to be honest, because efficiency is a problem with minerals. I mean, I could get into the weeds, but top putting less crap in, getting good gut health, which unfortunately is just not bone broth and probiotics. We could talk yes, about some I was, red flags. I was going to say, I was like, what is not necessarily, what are the common things people think about when it comes to supporting your gut health? Most people are thinking kombucha. Which is a terrible idea, pro- by the way. Exactly. When you have skin flares, we don't actually want I did not know how bad fermented. it was making me. I know. I used uh, to like make kombucha all the time and be a kombucha lover, but it's wild yeast and bacteria. And it just... In short, it really makes things worse. If you were looking at a fermented product, kefir or kefir is much superior. Kombucha is like fun to drink. It's not really like, if you've got some skin stuff going on, just pay attention if you feel more itchy after that, okay? That's what I have to say. And I was going to say with the bone broth too, I know you had mentioned collagen, but bone broth also when it's been stewed for a very, very long time, that it has a higher amount of just dietary histamine. So that might not be helpful in that moment. Plus, you really don't know how much collagen is in bone broth. It's going to vary a lot Mm -hmm. of times depending on the animal and the bone and how much collagen they naturally had. So I would say probably if you want to go down the collagen route and get glycine into your diet, yeah, maybe less of the bone broth and maybe more of the supplement. Would you agree? Oh yeah, for sure. Because bone broth has like literally to repeat what you just said, 
for the same reason. There's no um, consistency in how much you're going to really get through your diet. And then another one I always hear is, oh, apple cider vinegar. Do shots of apple cider vinegar. Have you heard that before for gut health and digestion? Yeah. And it's because stomach acid, let's actually just talk, let's break down why that is a thing in the first place. And I think, I remember my husband read like a booklet on apple cider vinegar years ago and he was really into it and that's fine. And I did not read the booklet is what I'm trying to say. So there's probably more things that it's about and it's fine. No one wants to hear this, but when you have high stress, you're dumping magnesium and you're dumping it when you're drinking a bunch of caffeine too. For a lot of people I do, and I always have to relearn this and I've talked about this before, but you dump magnesium. And so that's a cofactor to stomach acid as well as other things. And so you see low stomach acid in stressful situations, but by the time you know this, sometimes you've already like, like stomach acid is your gate in your gut. And so if you've opened the gate, you've allowed things to just walk on in and set up shop. And now you have like overgrowth of crap that are causing problems. We are not on the same page everywhere. Like people are not on the same page about this yet. Maybe in like in 10 or 15 years, we might be there. We are right now, if you go to your conventional doctor, they might test you for SIBO because it's been out or it's in the research. It's been out for 10 or 15 years. It's like, cool. We can understand that there's two bacteria. Like there are more than two bacteria. In the and gut. for the audience, people who don't know what SIBO is, it's small, small intestinal, intestinal bacterial. bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. Yep. And if you feel like you have gas and bloating in zero to 120 minutes, zero to 100 Zero to two and a lot of burping too. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some burping too, because that could be a couple of things. Sure. But like low stomach acid. So that's an interesting topic. And people talk about stomach acid. And I think usually people do okay with apple cider vinegar, but sometimes when you're doing things like for me, it would burn. Anyway, my point is, is that sometimes when you're giving yourself things that are meant to like help support stomach acid, sometimes it's not always the right fit depending on what kind of bacterial overgrowth you have because you're supposed to fix those first technically. And this is just learning and stuff. So anyway. Yeah. And chewing food is really, really the important (laughs) thing here. Like it just seems so forgotten, but really chewing it down. I'm, I am, (laughs) I suck at this. I'm like, I try it all the time and I try to understand like, why do I talk the most and I'm done first is like distressing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it's because my dad was military. I don't have any idea. I have no idea. I'm like still trying to figure out the answer because I have to stop. I almost like wish someone would slap me every time. Like I go. To the like, That's hilarious. I what I mean, I tell a lot of people, it's just like, just think about it. Your stomach does not have teeth. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so why can't you just mechanically digest the food in your mouth? Because your mouth produces certain enzymes that help at least break down carbohydrates, right? So there's amylase that helps Mm -hmm. break down the carbs. And so by the time it hits your stomach, it's already mostly digested for you. Mm -hmm. So I find a lot of people who have digestive distress or low stomach acid in the beginning, sometimes soups and broths, pureed foods, smoothies Mm -hmm. really do help because it's already mechanically digested for you in that Mm -hmm. instance, right? But you do want to be able to chew your basic solid food right? So just remembering to slow down and chew it as much. And people don't know how many times you need to chew. It's debated. You know, you'll see it like anywhere from 20 to 30 times they see to chew, but doing it to, yeah, it's a lot, but getting it kind of to a mushy puree applesauce kind of consistency and breathing in between Mm -hmm. is going to really help you there. And plus it will allow you to feel fuller than rather just like inhaling all your food and later you're feeling like you're stuffed and then you're bloated (laughs) and then your stomach is doing that extra work, right? You're right. Because if we're thinking about the things that improve, just to like start to summarize, we talked about the root causes of hormone issues include blood sugar issues, digestion problems, 
detoxification issues, nutrients, which I talked about nutrients and methylation. And did I say stress yet? Stress. So a couple things that are related to what you just said are if you're stopping and eating a little bit more mindfully and chewing, we're more in a rest and digest phase instead of a fight or flight phase, which means we're going to digest better. So if you're eating under stress, you're not digesting, right? That's fight or flight. And by the way, I don't say this from a pedestal. I say this as a reminder to myself and to everyone like me that we cannot eat at our desk. We cannot eat in 30 seconds. We have to take a lunch break. Again, unpopular in the United States, right? I just interviewed someone pretty recently and she said her relationship with food really changed when she spent, I think it was a semester in Italy on a study abroad trip. I think it was. And I said, well, what specifically was going on where you had that change? And she said, their relationship is different with food where we slow down. We've like, we hear this, right? But here we are to remind you again that starting to have reduced stress is the things that you are ignoring, which is not taking a lunch break, which I've you know, I literally used to not schedule one in and then I'd be kind of grouchy if someone booked over the top of it. I was like, oh, well, if I just put it on the calendar, (laughs) then it couldn't get booked over, you know? So anyway, so that's part of improving stress and it's part of improving blood sugar. And I was at dinner last night with my husband and a couple of his friends after an activity they had with their kids. They were talking, there was like kind of some joking about fasting and about how it's like such a bad idea from them, these farm guys to not eat breakfast and lunch and then like eat three times as much at supper. And this is a blood sugar disaster. And I think about this client one time when we were talking about intentional fasting, which was something he had wanted. And he's like, Krista, I fasted today. I didn't eat lunch. And I'm like, that was skipping lunch. (laughs) There was not any benefit to that. That was skipping meal uh, because there was no intentionality around it. And it wasn't done quite in the way where you would actually get some benefit. So it was called skipping lunch and now you're going to be starving. So blood sugar control is as simple as a protein, fat, and carb breakfast, lunch, and dinner is the simplest way to talk about it. And And I think we can just always stop and ask ourselves like, oh, if I'm starving at five, I probably didn't eat anything at lunch or not enough. And and I see this all the time. So I don't recommend fasting for the overly stressed person. Your blood sugar is just all over the place. You need to support your body first and nourish it. So Mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, if your hunger hormones are all wacky, meaning you don't feel hungry, that I would say start to schedule in eating times, like maybe every four to six hours until your body can start to relearn its hungry cues, because I do work with eating disorders. And a lot of times people will say like, you know, I'm just not hungry during breakfast, but it's because you've probably gone years doing that where your body no longer recognizes that physiologically it's actually hungry, even though mentally you don't think you're hungry, but we know you're hungry. Why? Because at the end of the day, you're binging. I see it just a classic. You skip over the first day's meal and then at night you're ravenously hungry and it ends up in binging. Mm-hmm. or you're over preoccupied with food. So in this situation, I really don't recommend the fasting. Mm-hmm. So can I give some practical tips on like, yeah, here's what you could do if it. your skin was flaring before your cycle or before ovulation. So because it's an estrogen high thing and progesterone is too low, one way to balance this out that you weren't really expecting, you were going to say like, Hey, lower estrogen. I would like you to increase progesterone. I want you like to think about that first. And I have a recent episode about that, about how ovulation is a real MVP. So you want to improve ovulation. Like you want to make sure you're ovulating. 
because otherwise you're not really spiking progesterone. That's like step one technically, which is a whole different topic we're not going to talk about, but you could listen to that. We want to reduce things that are stressful and things that the body reviews as stress. Super unpopular statement. People are throwing tomatoes at me right now. We want to be happy, right? And we want to have good nutrients and gut health so you can actually absorb those nutrients. So practically also before your period, if you are predisposed and you're working on your stress stuff, one, you can work on your gut health. And I really don't feel like you can do some like basic things. So you can chew well and you can do some basic things. And if you feel like if you've got those red flags, skin thing is technically a red flag for me, but like if you've got some gas or bloating or any kind of abnormal bowel movements history, those are the easy ones. So if you got that, it'd be great to get some help, right? Rocky and I are happy to help. We're happy to refer you to someone to get help because we want you to succeed. So I want you to have good gut health. I want you to have good detoxification. I have a class on that. You can improve methylation nutrients. You can take a magnesium. I mean, so let's think about it. If you take a salt bath, the week before, if you put it on your calendar and you think about doing this a week before your ovulation and your period for a few days, you've just hit two birds with one stone. You're absorbing a bunch of magnesium, which is a calming mineral and you're absorbing it well. So you're improving like gut health as a side effect. You're relaxing, you're getting in good methylation nutrients. Man, that was a pretty cheap option, wasn't right. it? Was that kind of a good option? The other thing you could do is add some ground flax to your breakfast really for probably a week or two before your period. Why don't you just start now? If you could do some ground flax, that's got beautiful lignans and fiber to actually help grab the estrogen and help pull it out. So besides that, also one more thing is like upping your cruciferous vegetables. That's like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, et cetera cauliflower, cabbage, because those are full of sulforaphanes, which help with estrogen detoxification. And here's your caveat. Here's your caveat. If they're really causing a lot of digestive pain and bloating, you probably have gut issues. Okay. Right. So, yeah. So I was going to put that plug in. I'm like, it's really great. Cruciferous vegetables are great. You need to have them. But if you are that person who is having discomfort from Mm -hmm. these foods like gas and bloating, yeah, you've got issues and you probably can't solve this on your own. It's time to go to a professional, probably someone like Krista or myself. And we'd be I would, happy to refer I would tell you the answer if it was simpler than that. It doesn't right. fit in a couple sentences. It's like, right. and it takes a while. And what I've learned is I'm not helping people by telling them exactly sometimes, like sometimes I just know I have a good suspicion based on their symptoms, but it's, I've realized I'm not helping them if I tell them because um, it's all about the follow through. Cause it's not a short game. It's a short ish game. It's much longer if you don't get help, but um, you know what I have it's not found, super short. Though. So in this population, you know, because we're on gut, the issue of gut health and mm-hmm. how to support elimination, because if you can eliminate properly, you can mm-hmm. eliminate estrogen, right? That's what and we're trying help. to do here, right? Flax will help. Mm-hmm. Fiber from fruits and vegetables and grains. What I also find in this population with skin rashes is a lot of times they end up cutting out grains, right? They're going on some of these paleo diets, right? And in the short term, maybe it is helping. Mm-hmm with the skin flares, but long-term it's a disaster maybe to your gut health, right? And, and that's going a good on. point. Long-term, long-term it right. is. Right. So I always like caution people that diet restriction shouldn't be a long, long-term thing. There's certainly phases of our relationship with food and we want to make sure it's a healthy, happy relationship and that we're not having fear around food. And this is a, this is like, by the way, a big gut health issue as well, which is a whole nother conversation, but I'm glad we're mentioning it here because it's important too. Yeah. Because you want to increase your fiber. And so my specialty and what I've been veering towards is food freedom approach in Mm -hmm. this area. 
I know your focus, I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about this, about hormones, because I feel like you're so knowledgeable about this. For me, I've been working a lot with eating disorders and food fear. Just the fact that you're scared of a food will actually give you anxiety and cause your gut to clench mm-hmm. up. And so yeah. that will actually affect how you're metabolizing your food and the end eliminating properly. And it's that backup of estrogen that we're trying to get rid of. Like it's all a holistic situation and an mm-hmm. issue here, right? And if you've decreased fiber in your diet, I do find sometimes short-term butyrate supplementation does help because butyrate is, uh, so if nobody knows what this strange word is, it's a short chain fatty acid that your gut produces when it has fiber in the diet. So fiber is really important to produce butyrate, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are eliminating fibers in your diet because you think it's causing skin flares, well, guess what? Butyrate's not getting produced. It's lower and that's going to cause issues down the line too, right? A lot of feelings about these, but I'm going to hold them because it's a great conversation. I'd love to talk about it. And I want to just say like, thanks for sharing what you've transitioned to because I've known you for a little while. I know that that wasn't always your approach, but you're like, this seems to work better, right? I know that you used to love looking at food reactions in people. And anyway, I think it's great because your practitioner should always be growing and changing and evolving. That's all. So I think it's great. I hope it's okay that I said like, oh yeah, that's a different place than where you were a couple years ago. And that's, I'm all hundred percent in a different place than I was a couple years ago. So it's mm-hmm. fun to see, it's fun to talk with people and just see where they are now. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I think where we left off, we were talking about supporting, right? Gut health with proper elimination, pooping, managing blood sugar, eating protein, fats, and okay. fiber, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. A few times a day. Yep. The proper nutrients that you mentioned were methylated B vitamins, magnesium, obviously from the salt baths. I love it. From collagen. Yes. Yep. Anything else that we should, that we didn't hit that you think would be important? I think that was good because since we're focusing on skin flares before the period and we talked about what you could literally very clearly do before your period or now is start adding ground flax to your diet, do some baths, more than one (laughs) to absorb that and work on reducing stress. Like that is awesome. And look at what's going on, like in the top of the funnel, as we talked about, I think like there is plenty to take away from this conversation to give you some applicable tips. And if you want, there are like some very good recent episodes on like, there's a whole one on like, if you want an in-depth thing on hormones, we have one of the recent ones with Kaylee McDevitt's on ovulation. So if you want a bigger deep dive on certain things, then I've certainly got them with the podcast and Rocky, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram. I am gut.skin.nutritionist on there and my DMs are open. I love chatting with people and connecting on there. Awesome. And I'm anti-inflammatory nutritionist on Instagram. And my favorite place to hang out is on the podcast with people. And I love hearing from people what they're enjoying on the podcast and what they'd like to hear more of. Always open for many topics because there's a couple episodes a week. Rocky, thanks so much for having this conversation with me today. Thank you, Krista. I hope this was useful for many people. You at least have a step one on what you can do, right? More than a step one. Yeah. We gave you a couple of things to try out, uh, give it at least four weeks, right? It's not going to happen overnight, but if you need professional support, obviously, if none of this works for you, then maybe going to a professional like Chris or I, and we can refer you some of our colleagues that mm-hmm. would maybe help you too. All right. Great. Thanks so much.